John chapter 6 this morning, focusing in on verse 1 to 21. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered to him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks... He distributed them to those who were seated, and also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew himself again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. This is God's word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Well, George Mueller was a Christian missionary evangelist and a coordinator of orphanages in Bristol, England, during the 1800s. And throughout his ministry, he had the privilege of caring for 120,000 orphan children. And one fascinating aspect of Mueller's ministry was his confidence in God to answer his prayers for money. He gave up his regular salary. He refused to ask people directly for money. He prayed, published reports about the goodness of God and the answers to his prayers, but trusted that the Lord would provide. Mueller's faith that God would provide was rooted in the sovereignty of God. When faced with a crisis, When he he didn't have the means to pay a bill, he would say this. How the means are to come, I know not. 
But I know that God is almighty, that the hearts of all are in his hands, and that if he pleaseth to influence persons, they will send help. That was the root of his confidence, the sovereignty of God. God is almighty. All men are in his hands. And when God chooses to influence their hearts, they will give. In his journals, Mueller recorded many ways in which God provided and answered prayer. And this one is significant. One morning, all the plates and cups and bowls were on the table and were empty. There was no food and no money to buy food. The children were standing waiting for their morning meal when Mueller said, Children, you know we must be in time for school. Then lifting up his hands, he prayed, Dear Father, we thank you for what you are going to give us to eat. There was a knock at the door. The baker stood there and said, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you didn't have bread for breakfast and the Lord wanted me to send you some. So I got up at 2 a.m. and baked some fresh bread and had brought it. Mr. Mueller thanked the baker and no sooner had he left, there was a second knock at the door and it was the milkman. He announced that his milk cart had broken down right in front of the orphanage and he'd like to give the children his cans of fresh milk so he could empty his wagon and repair it. What an awesome testimony. What George Mueller experienced and what the passage that we are looking at this morning teaches us is that God provides when our resources aren't enough to meet the need. This morning, we're looking at two signs that Jesus performed. One is in public in front of a large crowd, and the other is in private in front of the 12 disciples. Jesus feeds the 5,000, and he walks on water. And remember, these miracles, they're, they're sign posts pointing to who Jesus is and what he has done. And so this morning, what I hope you see in the text is this. That the power and presence of Jesus helps us to trust in him in every circumstance. The power and presence of Jesus helps us to trust him in every circumstance. So we first see that John gives us the setting, the people involved, the place and the time. John writes after this. Sometime after Jesus's altercation with those religious leaders that we saw in chapter five, he and his disciples crossed the Sea of Galilee. John calls it the Sea of Tiberias because his readers would have been more familiar with that name. But they crossed the Sea of Galilee and because of after a time of busy ministry, Jesus wants to gather his disciples to, to get some rest and recuperation on a mountain on the other side of the sea. But they aren't alone for long because a large crowd was following Jesus. Why is this crowd following Jesus? Is it because they want to follow him as Lord? Is it because they want forgiveness for their sins? Nope. Verse 2 says they were following him because they saw the signs he had performed. His healing miracles were drawing a crowd. 
Their interest in Jesus was superficial. They were looking for a miracle worker. And we find out in verse 10 that there were 5,000 men. And so including women, women and children, it's likely that there was 10 to 20,000 people coming towards Jesus. For your reference, that's like the whole Allstate arena following Jesus around the Sea of Galilee. So we have the people involved. We have Jesus, his disciples, and this large crowd. We have the place, the mountain across the Sea of Galilee, and we're also given the time. Verse 4 is extremely significant in this passage and in this chapter. John tells us that the Passover was at hand. During the Passover, the people would celebrate how the Lord had delivered them out of Egypt through the leadership of Moses. And this would be on their minds. And just, just for your reference, the whole chapter, including this section that we're studying this morning, is full of links to Moses. As the Lord provided manna from heaven in the wilderness, here Jesus provides miraculously food for the 5,000. The people recognize Jesus as the promised prophet like Moses. Just as Moses went up to Mount Sinai, so Jesus withdraws to the mountain by himself. And as the Lord brought Israel through the Red Sea on dry ground, so Jesus walks on the sea like it's dry ground. The point of all this is that Jesus is the new and better Moses. Jesus is the promised prophet that they proclaim him to be, and he is the hope for king. Jesus is the one who will accomplish God's plan of salvation. So that's the setting. Um, but in verse 5, we encounter the problem. And it's a big problem. There's lots of people. There's no food and not enough money. See that in verse 5? Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now, it's important to ask good questions as you're studying the scriptures. And a good question in this moment would be, now, why does Jesus have to feed these people? Why does Jesus have to feed these people? He didn't invite them. He wasn't trying to draw a crowd. In fact, going up to the mountain suggests that he's trying to spend some time alone with his disciples. He's not responsible for them. So why does he take the responsibility? He takes responsibility because of who he is. He's good. He's compassionate. He's loving. He came to serve, not to be served. In Mark's gospel, we are told that Jesus saw the people as sheep without a shepherd. Well, here is the good shepherd who in verse 10 makes the people sit down on green grass and he feeds them. But notice that Jesus is doing two things in this passage. He's performing a sign, proving who he is and what he has done. But he's also teaching. Right. He's equipping his disciples. We see this in his interaction with Philip. Jesus asked Philip the question, where are we to buy bread? But there's a reason 
Right. There's a reason Jesus does this. We see this in verse six. John tells us that Jesus asked the question in order to test Philip. Jesus knows what he's going to do. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have already planned from eternity what was going to happen on this mountain. Jesus knew that the bread and the fish were going to be multiplied. But in order to test or to teach Philip, he asked him this question. Now, what kind of answer do you think Jesus was looking for? Do you think Philip's answer was satisfactory? Maybe he wanted Philip to consider all that he had seen. To consider that Jesus is the son of God who's able to turn water into wine. Surely he can feed these people. As we look at Philip's answer and then Andrew's response, we see that they didn't quite get it. Right. What does Philip say? Philip says. In verse seven. 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. In most of your Bibles, there's a there's a footnote at the bottom there, and it tells us that a denarius was a day's wage. And so Philip is saying here that even eight months of a person's salary wouldn't be enough money for everyone just to get a little bit of food. Philip was your common sense type of person. He looked at the money that they had and said, it's impossible. He was convinced it simply could not be done. The limitless power of Christ had completely escaped his thinking. And then Andrew speaks up. He looks and finds this boy who's got five barley loaves and two fish. On one hand, it seems like Andrew's trying to help. But then on the other hand, the massive need makes him doubt that the people can be fed. And so he says, it's not enough. And so these two statements from the disciples communicate hopelessness. Sorry, Jesus, it's not possible. They should have remembered, here is the one who had just healed a lame man who was lame for 38 years. Here is the one who turned water into wine. They should have known he was able to feed them. That should have been the response. And if we consider the problem here, humanly speaking, it's impossible to feed thousands and thousands of people with five loaves of bread and two fish. Humanly speaking, it's impossible for that to happen. The answer has to be supernatural. But if we put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples for a second, if you or I were there, we would have answered the same way. We would have given Jesus the same answers. We don't have enough. The five loaves and the two fish, they're not enough, Jesus. Do you know why? Why would we say the same thing? Because we walk by sight. We look at certain situations and difficulties and say, how can we ever get past this? How am I ever going to afford this? How am I ever going to deal with this difficulty in my life? This seems so impossible. And we forget that we have an almighty savior 
and Jesus Christ, who can take just a few loaves of fish, a few loaves, loaves and a few fish, and feed thousands and thousands of people. And so no matter side application, no matter what you're going through, run to him, pray to him. You have a savior who is all powerful and can do all things. But remember, Jesus is teaching his disciples here. He didn't put Philip and Andrew through this situation to embarrass them. They and the rest of the disciples are being prepared for Christian ministry. They're being taught and we are being taught that no matter what ministry we are in, whether that's pastoral ministry, whether that's music ministry, children's ministry, outreach ministry, Bible study, serving in any area in the church, it must be done in the power and strength of Jesus. And when we have no resources, he comes in and he provides Notice that he doesn't rebuke the disciples here. It's significant. He's teaching them. He loves them. And he loves you. And he's patient with you. In verse 10, he has all the people sit down. This would allow for more organization so that things could be distributed easier and nobody would be overlooked. And then Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them. The loaves and the fish were distributed to all. See what it says there? As much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. When you go to God to get your needs met, he's not going to be stingy with you. He'll give you as much as you want according to what he knows you need. But he'll give you as much as you want. He meets his people's needs. We're so used to this miracle that it's not even a miracle to us anymore. Jesus took five loaves, right? And two fish and fed thousands of people. Think about that. Let's go back to the Allstate Arena analogy. Right? Think about all the people in the Allstate Arena. Jesus feeds all those people with five loaves and two fish. That's a sign. That's a sign of who he is. Yeah, the miracle proves that he's compassionate, that he's caring, but more importantly, it shows that he's powerful. It shows that he truly is the son of God. This is Jesus's most public miracle. And he did this miracle before thousands of people. Here we see the creative power of the son of God. When we look at this account, we have to first see Jesus as creator. The one who can create out of nothing. Remember, this is the first thing that John tells us after he tells us that Jesus is God. He writes in John chapter one, verse three, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the one who has created all things and upholds all things. How often do you think about that? 
I have to confess, I often forget this. When I'm going about my normal, everyday life, I forget. I'm thankful for the opportunity this week to be in God's word and and be in this text and be reminded of these things, that Jesus is the one who has created all things and sustains all things. But how often do you think about this? When you're driving in your car, when you're hanging out with your family, when you're doing various things in your life, how often do you think about Jesus being the creator and sustainer? Jesus is doing something similar to what he did with the water and the wine here. He's creating bread and fish. And what he's saying through the sign is that I am the Lord. I am the creator. I am the one who provides abundantly. Do you realize that you live and move and have your being in Jesus Christ? All of you are breathing right now because of Jesus. Last night, I was working through my sermon, and I was also watching the NFL games. Anybody else watch last night? Man, what an awesome night of football, right? And so as I'm thinking about these things, you know, watching like these these players do do amazing things, seems like the quarterbacks were like so much better than they ever have been. As I was studying this, I was reminded that every player was breathing because Jesus was allowing them to breathe. We don't stop and think about these things, but we should. That's who Jesus is. He's the son of God who is the creator and sustainer of the universe. And unfortunately, this this miracle that we're studying this morning is used for messages on how we should feed the hungry or the poor, which, hey, that's definitely a worthy application but not what John is getting at in this passage. That's not the point here. The point is not that Jesus has fed all these people. The point is that he is God and that he is the creator and that nothing is too hard for him. Another good question to ask. Did Jesus need to take these loaves and these fish from this boy in order to perform this miracle? No, but he's taking something that's small. He's taking something that's weak and insignificant and showing what he can do through whatever we give him. He could have just said the word and bread and fish would appear. Because if we think about Jesus being the creator and sustainer of all things, then that means that he is the creator of all bread in the world and he is the creator of all fish in the world. But he chooses to take something, something small and multiply it. We're a small church. This is a huge encouragement to us that Jesus takes small things and uses them. The needs surpass the resources. Jesus is the one, the only one who could solve the problem. You know, we ended the year in December with a large surplus of money. And praise God for that, right? Amen? Amen. But money isn't the place where we should place our hope. And so we 
shouldn't want the needs of our church to be met by money. But we should want the needs of our church to be met by the presence and power of Jesus Christ. Because God ministers through our weakness. We see this all throughout the scriptures. He doesn't select the strong people so he can use their strengths. He uses the weak to show his power through our weaknesses. He gives us tasks that we don't have the strength to accomplish ourselves. Think about the Great Commission. But he gives us the strength to carry them out. Amen. So when our needs are many, when it seems like our resources cannot meet our needs, we trust God with what we bring him, knowing that he's able to provide and provide abundantly to provide more. Look at verses 12 to 13. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. What? The people ate their fill. Everyone was full. They didn't just have a little. Jesus provided enough and there were leftovers. There were leftovers. And did you notice how many baskets there were? Twelve. That's significant. One basket for each disciple. Remember, he's teaching them. He's equipping them. Do you know why Jesus made them gather up all the leftovers in the baskets? So that they would remember the task that he had given them. So that they would remember the weight of the pieces in that basket. And then when they would complain later on in Mark chapter 8 that they had no bread, Jesus would say to them in Mark chapter 8, verse 19, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. There was one basket for each of them to show them, look, we came here with nothing. And I provided and used you and equipped you. Jesus provides for our lack. We all need to see the power of Christ and trust him more. All right, so how do the people respond? In verses 14 and 15, John writes, When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The people saw Jesus perform this sign and they recognized him rightly as the promised prophet like Moses from Deuteronomy chapter 18. And Jesus knew if they're going to make that assumption, then it's going to lead them to identify me as the coming king from the Davidic line. But the problem here is that the crowd was desiring something that they shouldn't have been desiring. They wanted earthly and worldly satisfaction. They were focused on the physical and the material, not the spiritual. They weren't looking for a savior. They were looking for an earthly king. 
Now looking to what the sign pointed to, that Jesus is the Son of God who not only provides for our physical needs, but our greatest spiritual need. They were excited about what he could do for them, what he could give them in a physical sense, not because he came to offer them life in himself, which we'll see in the weeks to come. That same danger faces us today. And Richard Phillips says this, there's a great difference between wanting the bread that Jesus gives and the bread that Jesus is. There's a great difference between wanting the bread that Jesus gives and the bread that Jesus is. They wanted to put Jesus in charge of the local government to keep feeding them earthly bread. But Jesus departed. He went back up on the mountain by himself. This was not his agenda. His agenda was not of the earth, but of heaven. He came to rule, not the kingdom of men, but the kingdom of God. And so Jesus withdrew to the mountains. And we learn from the other gospels that he tells his disciples to get into a boat and go before him to the other side of the sea. And so again, in verses 16 and 17, John again gives us the time, the people and the place. Verse 16, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. All right, so here it's evening. The disciples are not with Jesus. They're at sea on a boat. Think about that line. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. John, the writer of this gospel, was on that boat. This is an eyewitness testimony. John remembers being out at sea and it being dark. And Jesus wasn't with them. And then all of a sudden, the sea became rough. And they were in the middle of a storm in the middle of the sea. The Sea of Galilee sits 700 feet below sea level. And then it's surrounded by these hills or mountains that reach high into the air. And when the air comes over the mountains, down towards the sea, it creates the cyclone effect. And these violent storms occur. And the sea is also seven miles across and what we, what we see in verse 19 is that they had rowed three to four miles, which means that they were in the middle of the sea. Not the place you want to be in the middle of a storm, especially a violent storm that happens on the Sea of Gal- Galilee. And at that point, they, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And it says that they were frightened. Now, I bet you all of us are pretty too, like too familiar with the story here, right? So act like you're reading this for the first time. Imagine the scene. The disciples are shouting to one another, straining as they row against the wind. The waves are crashing and they look and they see a man who is walking on the waves. And this man is unfazed by the waves and the weather. And if we think about it that way, I think it's safe to say that most of us would be freaking out. They were frightened. Who can walk on water? You ever tried it? Water doesn't hold together. 
If you step on it, it separates and we sink. But not so with Jesus. What's John teaching us here? Jesus is walking on the waves and he's unfazed because he created the seas. Remember, he is the creator. He's the one who created the seas and he's in control of them. Job chapter nine, verse eight says, God alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. Only God walks on the sea. And in response to the disciples' fear, Jesus speaks to them in verse 20. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Those words, it is I, can be translated to I am. Jesus is using the covenantal name of the Old Testament God. He is saying that he is Yahweh. I am God, he says. This is the fifth sign that John writes about to prove the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus could walk on the stormy waves because he is their Lord and master. It was no more difficult for him to overcome the laws of nature than it was for him to write them in the beginning. With the same power, he brings peace to the storm. And notice that when Jesus spoke, when they heard that familiar voice of Jesus, all their fears went away. It's the word of God that should bring relief and calm to all of us today. When we turn to our Bibles, our minds and our hearts are calmed as we grow familiar to the voice of Jesus in the scriptures. The way in which we know that God is near is through his word. All right, so a couple things to consider here. Jesus is the one who sends his disciples into the storm. So whatever difficult time you are going through, Jesus Christ has created the circumstance. He controls everything that happens in this world. There's nothing outside of his control. The wind doesn't control itself. Jesus controls the wind. And so how could we go through anything hard if we don't believe that Jesus is in control? But why didn't Jesus come to the disciples right away? Why, why, why did he send this storm their way? Because they needed to learn the lesson that they needed him. Why do storms come our way? So we need to learn the lesson that we need him. We often wonder where Jesus is during our trials. We often ask, has he abandoned me? Have I done something to depart from his will? Have I shamed myself with sin so that he has dropped me out of his hands? No. Jesus brings his people into very difficult and trying situations so that they would see that they are powerless themselves and so that he could show his power and care and grace in the midst of those trials. Jesus Christ is the infinite God who made everything, who made all the waters, who is in control of all the waters, the one who walks upon the waters to show that nothing 
is too hard for him. Feeding 20,000 people, not hard. Meeting you and getting you through any trial that you're going through, not too hard for him. And keep in mind, this is not Jesus showing off. He's not walking on the water, high-fiving his disciples, saying, check out what I can do. No, he does this miracles. He does this specific miracle so that his disciples would trust him. That they would see that he can bring them through the storm. He says to them, do not be afraid. Whatever you're going through, if you are in Christ, look at these words from your Savior. It is I. I am. Do not be afraid. And look at verse 21. And they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. What? <laughs> what? Seems like the boat was transported from the middle of the lake to the shore. I mean, I could be wrong, but that's what it seems to be saying right here. Pretty cool. Really quickly, turn to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. Verse 23 to 30. It says, Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storms be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. That's almost exactly what we read here in John chapter 6. This is the Lord. Jesus is God. He delivers us and he brings us to our desired haven. And although we don't go under the water, Jesus actually goes under the waters at the cross. The waters of God's wrath overwhelm Jesus until he dies on the cross. And he does that to bring you through. He does that to bring you to your desired haven, to your eternal home. The one who is in this gospel, who walks on water, hangs on a tree at the end of John's gospel. The feet that walked on the waves are nailed to the cross for your sins and my sins.
And he does this to bring us to our desired haven where there is calm and peace. Look to Jesus. Are you looking for him to provide for you? When you don't know how the bills are going to get paid, how your spiritual life is going to improve. I know that there are husbands and wives at the point of despair over their marriages or parents who are struggling with a strong-willed child. And as a church, we're wondering how our church, our small church is going to impact the community around us. How are we going to fulfill the great commission with so little? We can trust him to meet whatever needs we have. Consider the situation that we read about at the beginning of this chapter. Jesus fed 5,000 people. Jesus fed more than 5,000 people. The needs surpassed the resources. Whatever the disciples had in the money bags were not enough. But Jesus can provide. He can make five barley loaves and two fish enough for thousands and thousands of people. He can make our inadequacy enough to meet the need. The promises in him are yes and amen. Jesus has come. He is the new and better Moses. He is the new David. He is the prophet, priest, and king. He is the incarnate word who walks on the water. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I pray that God opens your eyes and your hearts to see truly who Jesus is. He wasn't just some good man. He wasn't just some miracle worker. He's the savior of the world. The one who can provide for you what you cannot provide for yourself. The Bible says that without Christ, you are dead in your sins and trespasses. You're separated from God. And one day you will pay for each and every sin you've committed. Unless. Unless. You repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And then you will be forgiven for all of your sins. Jesus abundantly provides salvation for those who believe in him. He is the Lord of all creation. He is the ruler of everything. He is a gracious and loving savior. And so to everyone here, believe him, trust him. There's nothing, there's nothing that he cannot provide. The power and presence of Jesus helps us to trust him in every circumstance. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning trusting that you would meet the needs that our resources aren't adequate enough to meet. We want to see your power at work in our lives and in our church. Lord, we also find ourselves in various trials. We know this Christian life is hard, but we also know that you're in control. 
please come to us and quiet our hearts. Help us to become more familiar with the words of Jesus in the scriptures. And we thank you for Jesus who provides and is present with his people. Lord, we love you. Our needs are bigger than our resources. Please meet them. You can provide bread and fish to thousands. You can walk on water. Lord, build your church, save the lost, humble the proud, and make us more like Jesus.